We're in the middle of a series today called Me, Myself, and Mind. And this series is designed and our intent for walking through this to bring hope. And part of these series, when we talk about just mental health things, they can feel heavy. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to just bring hope in the midst of all that's going on. Years ago, when I was a, a youth pastor and serving a different church, and we had Sunday night service, and on occasion, I would get to preach a Sunday night service. So I had preached that message that night, and our senior pastor had a friend. He was a retired pastor, and now he was just kind of a traveling pastor that would go do itinerant speaking. And after the service, he comes up to me and says, Young man, of all the sermons I've heard, that was definitely one of them. <laughs> I, Thank you. I, I, yeah, I don't, thanks. I don't even know what to say that, right? 2020. Of all the years I've lived my life, it is definitely one of those years. You know what I'm saying? Most of the time we can crack jokes about 2020 with murder hornets and toilet paper shortages. But let's just be real. There's a lot of underlying stress that has come through this pandemic. And here's part of the problem. You can't see it. So 2020, I mean, we do. We've got our punchlines from, you know, just insert any pandemic joke here or coin shortage joke or whatever. Maybe for a lot of us, what's right here in front of us didn't really change. Like maybe your schedule wasn't immediately impacted except for the, you know, the two-week quarantine thing. Maybe uh, your income hasn't been impacted. I feel rather fortunate. I mean, our church has responded incredible this year. We live in a state that actually said, no, we, we think it's important that we reopen cautiously. My wife was able to now work from home. That's been a huge blessing, except for when you can't turn it off, right? And it hit me. Landon is a senior this year, and, and he's in marching band. And the other day, I was just watching their competition show this year. It's just not the same. It's not. So for my kids, school started a couple weeks late. Band camp, usually they take two weeks prior to school and they go all day. They go from like 7 in the morning until 4 o'clock in the afternoon and they're teaching freshmen how to march and they're memorizing music and they're trying to get what they call drill, all that placed. This year, it was four half days. And then right in the middle of prime marching season when they're learning their show and working on things, they have to take two weeks quarantine because kids had been exposed. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching this competition show and it's just, it's good. It's just not what it's been. His graduating class is the largest graduating class that our school has ever had. There's 26 seniors. We've never had anything like that. I mean, they've been licking their chops at just the awards that they're going to... And, and I'm just sad. I'm sad for them. I'm sad for all of those seniors. So what do you do when you're frustrated, when you're disappointed, when you're lonely, maybe a little nervous or scared, all at the same time? That's the kind of underlying stress. That's the kind of emotions that this COVID pandemic season has created in 2020. And then you read the Bible in places like James chapter 1. It says, my brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. So how do you have joy in the midst of junk? How do you stay positive in the midst of a pandemic? And I'm not trying to fabricate a problem to preach on this morning. This is real. I feel it. Many of you maybe feel it. A lot of you that are watching online, I miss you. There are some people I, that have not been able to worship with their family. They haven't been able to be here since March for whatever various reason. 
And I'm sure it kind of starts to feel like, well, the rest of the world's just gone on without us. I guess they don't need us. And so I can see how that would bring hurt, frustration, maybe loneliness or sadness. Imagine being a college freshman. Imagine being a college freshman. You're so excited about going off to school. You've dreamed of this for years. You're going to meet friends that you will have the rest of your life. You're going to get to go to football games and go to college events. And it's your time. And it's a global pandemic. How do you make friends six feet apart? How do you find a study buddy when you're virtual? How do you have a social life when there's no social events? Psychology Today released a study showing that college students are some of the most impacted or the hardest hit during this pandemic. They're showing significant increased symptoms of depression and increased symptoms of stress and loneliness. For the general public, not college students, there's been an increase in anxiety and depression. A counselor friend of mine I've known for years, he shared with me, on top of our normal existent patient load, client load that we've been seeing, we've been taking in over 100 new families a month because of the pressure of this pandemic. Among healthcare workers, significant higher levels of depression, anxiety, and insomnia. Forbes magazine reported the economy is a source of stress for 70% of Americans. Is this thing going to ever go away? What's it going to do to my income? Will I have a job? The text messages to the, fad, the federal disaster distress hotline have increased by over 1,000%. This has been such a thing so that psychologists are now studying the long-term mental impact of events like COVID. They are seeing that long-term trauma can last for a decade or longer. There's a diagnosis or condition. I don't know what the right term is, but there's a diagnosis. And it's been labeled Katrina brain. And it's named due to the long-term mental effects that the Hurricane Katrina that took place in 2005 that it had on the people who lived through that. And what they're finding is the young people are the most impacted. Just because the storm is over, just because the house is rebuilt, just because the business is back open, and just because COVID is gone, there will still be long-term mental impacts because of 2020. And our job as parents, our job as youth workers, our job as Christians, our job as leaders is not just to ignore this, but to coach through it. And learn how to count it all joy. So I'm not trying to create a problem here. I'm not trying to drum up something for us to talk about and preach about. This, this is real. This is real. So we wanted to pause for a couple of weeks and talk about it. Now, I'm a country boy. If you're new to Hill Spring, I'm as, this neck is red as a day is long, right? I'm saying? And there are advantages to being a country boy. For example, we have stars I know I talk a lot about that, but stars are these little sparkly things up in the sky that you can see when you're out away from the city. We have stars. There's a lot of them, too. That's right. You know, you cannot hear your neighbor's dog barking at 2 o'clock in the morning. That is nice. That's nice. I, mean, I got my own dumb dog, but you can't hear your neighbor's dog. That's right. We've got this big, long, gravel driveway that, that we walk in. It, it, it runs east and west, so of an evening, there is nothing more just refreshing and to be out walking that driveway as the sun is setting off 
into the west. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Now, I do have to wash my cars a lot because that gravel sticks up a lot of dust, right? Even being a country boy, we have our own way of communicating. We have our own vocabulary. And so some of you, I realize, I mean, I know we live in Oklahoma. You've probably been exposed to these terms, but maybe you don't know what these terms properly mean. Let a redneck country boy educate you for just a second, right? Like we have terms like waller. You know, my dog was out in the pasture yesterday wallering in some cow. Just going to leave that right there. And you get the idea of what waller means. It means to roll around in, right? Bless your heart. Now, i got to pause for a second because bless your heart has dual double meaning. It has a good meaning and a bad meaning. Like it can be sympathetic. Oh, man, bless your heart. Wow. Or it can be, oh, bless your heart. You know what I'm saying? Like kind of in a smart aleck kind of way. So, cattywampus, don't know if you've ever heard that one. It's not a cuss word. Cattywampus means like hyperactive, but it also means it's just all messed up. Man, a deer hit my car and it's all cattywampus now, right? That's a thing. Drier than a pop. No, I better not go there. Um, britches, britches, right? There's an R. Britches, it means pants. You got britches. You got to say that one carefully. Hankering means I'm craving something. I want something. I'm hankering for some biscuits and gravy. Somebody said amen. Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. That means you're surprised. Not, it's not a statement about your nephew or your niece. It's just like, I'll be a monkey's uncle. I'm surprised, right? And then there's flustered. I'm frustrated. I'm all flustered. So if you didn't grow up in the country, I'd probably educate you. There's, this is actually a freshman-level class at OSU. So we teach all of our incoming freshmen. If you're going to be a cowboy, you know how to say those words, right? Being from the country, not for everybody, but for a lot of people, work ethic is ingrained in the way of lifestyle. Cows don't get a day off, and neither do you, you know? And so part of my rough and tough country boy raising is regardless of what's going on, you just put your boots on and you get to work. And there is something to be said about working towards keeping focused. There's something to be said about there are times you got to fake it till you make it. You got to push through. But if you're not careful... You can ignore warning signs of bigger issues that need to be dealt with. This morning, we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to make a pit stop before we get there. And a story about David before he was king. This is David and Goliath, David, that would eventually become the king of Israel. But before he was king, um, he actually lived in exile. He actually lived as a refugee. He was running from the guy who actually was king. His name was King Saul, and he was very jealous of David. Saul, as king, had made some mistakes. He knew that God had rejected him because of Saul's disobedience. He, Saul knew that God would select somebody else to be the king. His assumption was it was David. And so Saul, in an attempt to keep David from taking his place, he tried to hunt and kill him multiple times. So David is living as a refugee. He's living in exile. The Bible says that eventually his brothers came to join him and live with him. And then it goes on to say that there were people who were just in trouble. 2 Samuel 22, it's my pit stop, says, Then others began coming to David, men who were in trouble or in debt, who were just discontented. Until David was now the leader, or the captain of about 400 men. So David has this army of rough hombres. And that's all well and good as long as the rough hombres like you. 
But there comes a moment where they turn on David, and that's where I want to look in 1 Samuel chapter 30. While David and his not-so-merry men were out at battle, a group of Amalekites come through and completely raid their camp. They take all of their assets, they take all of their stuff, they take all of their women and their children. And the 400 in trouble, in debt, discontented men, they don't get mad at the Amalekites, they get mad at David. And so let's look at that. I'm going to look at a couple of verses. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 3. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Have you ever cried till you can't cry anymore? Have you ever wept till your eyes won't produce tears? Like, you, you're, you've wept till you're just exhausted. David's two wives, Anaim from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those who were captured. Verse 6, David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and their daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. And this is not what you did in college in the stoning him. They're ready to kill him, right? David found strength in the Lord his God. I love this in the older translation. Maybe it's because that's how I memorized it years and years ago. Maybe that's just how it seems familiar to me. But it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. How do you do that? How do you do that in the midst of a pandemic? How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? How can you have peace in your problems? How can you count it all joy in the midst of trials? Which is why we're doing this series. I don't know about you, but this whole COVID thing, I'm COVID tired. It's been just an underlying stress. Sometimes I'm grumpy for no reason. Sometimes I'm frustrated and there's nothing apparent to be frustrated about. I just am. Sometimes the hassle of just COVID is old. I'm just ready to be done. Received a text from a pastor friend of mine that a church we're both connected with. They had close to 40 people in their church. It was a hot spot. They all came down with, with COVID. And I'm just tired of that stress and it grates on us and it wears on us. And I have to be careful because I came from a pull yourself up by your bootstraps, put your gloves on and get to work kind of family. But I've also been in ministry for 22 years and I know it's not always that simple. There are times, for whatever reason, our bodies can struggle. There are times that our bodies, if you will, can become chemically imbalanced for some reason or another. There are times medication is very necessary for a season to keep my mind and my emotions imbalanced so that my heart can heal. And hear me clearly here. I love my country. I'm as patriot as they come. I am grateful that God allowed for me to be born in the good old U.S. of A with freedom and opportunities that we have. I love my country. But I also think the American dream sometimes works against us. And here's the American dream. If I'm willing to work hard enough, if I'm willing to make the sacrifice, if I'm willing to do it right, if I'm willing to pay the price, I can become and have anything that I want. I love that about this land. The problem is we've taken the sacrifice out of the equation and we've simply become, I can just have anything I want. And we think getting anything and everything that I want will make me happy. But what it does is it makes you spoiled. If you don't believe me, just give a toddler everything they want for about two years. Don't tell them no and see how that works out for you. 
basically take him to Mimi's house or Gigi's house or Peepaw's house or whatever you call your crazy grandparents, right? Just let Grandma have them and spell them for, spoil them for a while. You know what I'm saying? Listen, I've been to third world countries. And I have seen kids who have nothing but their clothes and they have joy. And I've been here and we have kids who have everything and they're depressed and suicidal. Something's out of balance. Something's not working. This morning, I want to look at the Word of God to help us bring that back into balance. And I want to be so careful. I want to be so careful here. Listen, do not hear me say that I don't need medication. Do not hear me say, well, I'm just going to do what the Bible says, and God's going to heal me, and now I can throw it all away. For some of you, that's the last thing you need to do. Because your mind and your emotions need to be stable so that your heart can heal. Now, do I believe I have to be on medication my entire life? I'm going to step out on faith and say no. I don't believe that. If and only if you are willing to do the work, make the sacrifice. The problem is we live in a day and time that we don't make a lot of sacrifice. So David's in the midst of a crisis. And everything he has has been stolen by the bad guys. His wives, his children, they're gone. His 400 discontent, discontent men, their stuff is gone. The wives and their family have been taken. And they don't know if they're alive, are they dead? Have they been sexually abused? Have they been taken advantage of? So for David, this is a pressure cooker situation. Listen, if you think gaining 10 pounds during quarantine was bad, you ought to put yourself in David's shoes in 1 Samuel chapter 30, right? But in the middle of his stress, David strengthened himself in the Lord. How do I do that? I want you to look at the very next thing that David did. It says in verse 7, then he said to Abathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought it. Now, the ephod is a part of a garment that the high priest would wear. Okay, In Exodus chapter 20, God gives Moses and Aaron instructions on how to construct it, what it would be used for, and how to use it. In the Old Testament, they would use this priestly tool, if you will, and God would use that to speak to his priests and leaders. We don't need an ephod. We don't have an ephod. We don't need it because we have the word of God. We have the Bible. God uses his word to speak to pastors and priests and to you and to leaders, to all of us. That's how we hear from God. I don't need a special garment. I have his word, right? So verse 8, it says, then David asked of the Lord, should I chase, should I chase after the band of raiders and will I catch them? Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes today, you can write this down. Do what you can do. Do what you can do. David wasn't really sure what to do, so he goes to the Lord in prayer. He turned to God. He knows he can do that. I don't know if I can chase them, but I am going to spend some time on my knees. I am going to turn to the thing that God uses to communicate with us. For us, it would be the Bible. I'm going to spend some time in prayer. Do what you can do. I may not know exactly what to do, but I can pray. I can seek wisdom. I can seek counsel. Listen, this is not a time for David to quit. This is a time for David to do what he can do. David didn't know all the details. He could have. He could have just, 
He could have just sat down and started playing the what-if game. He, should have let his, he could have let his mind just start worrying and stressing. Oh, no, what if they're dead? Oh, no, what if they've been abused? What if I never see them again? What if I can't retire? What if they've taken everything? He could have let his mind go to dark places, but he did not. He strengthened himself in the Lord as God. Do what you can do. David knew he could turn to the Lord. David knew he could seek the face of God. Secondly, and I'm just going to give you a warning, this is the hardest thing I'm going to talk about today. Of the three points, this is the hardest. Do what you can do, and then secondly, you have to learn to discipline your mind. One of the greatest gifts my parents gave me was they taught me how to get a handle on my emotions. And i got to tell you, there was a lot going on here. I'm just telling you. On more than one occasion, when we were at church, and it was that time at church where you'd come down front and let the preacher pray for you, you know what I'm saying? My mom would grab me by the hand and say, okay, we're going to go down front and get prayed for. Why are we going down front, mama? Because we're going to get them temper tantrums taken care of. You know, we're going to cast some demons out of you, boy. You know? Several times, several, on multiple occasions, I had to go down front, and they'd just try to shake them out of me. Come on, David, come out of it, you know? I, I was, I can be, I'm a hothead, you know what I'm saying? And I got prayed over, and even today, they tell me when the top lip starts to disappear, the people's eyes just kind of get big and like, ooh, and they kind of sneak out and like into corners and just try to hide. Because I get it, I'm no bigger than a minute. I ain't big enough to do anything like that, you know? I'm just a lot of talk, I'm not real big to do anything about it. But my mama told me, boy, you got to get them temper tantrums under control. You've got to learn to control your emotions. You've got to learn to get control of your mind. I was in eighth grade, got another lesson. I had this social studies teacher, and some considered her to be the devil's sister. And on more than one occasion, a broom was left on her desk with a note, we found your car in the hallway. Don't, kids, don't do that. Please don't do that, because that's somehow going to get back to me, right? So it's about the early in the second week of school, and I am scared to death of this teacher because I forgot to take my homework home and do it. And so I'm at home. It's like, you know, we've eaten dinner. It's time to do homework. And I'm digging through my bag and I, I can't find I'm just like cattywampus does not adequately describe my level of freaking out, right? I was cattywampus, right? And so I went outside and there's a motion going on. I'm, I'm all over the place and I'm out there crying, freaking out. My mama comes outside and she has a little chat with me. And these were the words she chose to console me with. Son, she can, she can give you a bad grade, but she can't cut you and eat you. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Mom, that's weird. What's going on here, right? <laughs> like, you, might, you might get a bad grade, but my mom was wise enough to know you're going to be okay. She had the foresight to see you got a real good chance you're going to graduate high school. You're going to survive this crisis. When you get up in the morning, the sun's going to come up and you're still going to be alive. Now listen, teenagers, I am not giving you an excuse to not do your homework. Y'all do your homework. All the parents said amen right there, right? My mama taught me in that lesson, listen, you got to get in control of your mind. Because I was outside and I was going off like a Tasmanian bottle rocket. And you got to learn to train your brain. And you got to get a handle on your worry and your freaking out. I'm going to give you some verses in the Bible. As I researched this this week, there's over 25 verses in Scripture that talk about you and I 
getting control of our mind and making it submit unto Christ. One of the most famous is 2 Corinthians 10.5. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps from people from knowing God or that sets itself up against God. That's how the older translations say it. Okay, We capture these rebellious thoughts and we're going to teach them to obey Christ. I love the New King James. It says we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. Thoughts of fear, I've got to go stop, stop. I know, I know God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Stop, stop, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a stable mind. Worry, stop, stop. I'm going to replace that thought, and I'm going to replace it with the truth, and I'm going to replace it with the Word of God. Romans 12, 2, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world. Why? Because the world is freaking out. And if you do what the world does, you're going to look and behave like the world. The world does not have the tools we have. The world does not have the faith that you have. The world does not have the Word of God that you have. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God change you. Let God transform you into a new person. And notice how He does it, by changing the way you eat enchiladas. That is not what it says. But that's a really good idea. I wish it was. By changing the way you think. Be transformed by renewing your mind. The Bible is full of verses about bringing your thought into submission of Christ. And you know what? The Bible is full of stories about people dealing with worry, anxiety, and depression. Don't believe me? Go read the book of Lamentations, especially before you go to bed. That'll just cheer you right up. It is a funeral song. Jeremiah was a prophet. He's called the weeping prophet. He battled depression. The Bible is full of worry, depression, and anxiety, but it's also full of instruction. Listen, you have got to get a hold. You've got to discipline your mind. You've got to let God transform the way you think. This is hard, especially if my whole life I have been led by my emotions. But I'm here to tell you, there's a better way. Let the Spirit lead you, not your emotions. Amen. Number three. First of all, do what you can do. Secondly, you've got to learn how to discipline your mind. Let God help you do that. Number three, you've got to develop your faith. I, I like to say it this way. You've got to feed your faith. Everything you do feeds something. You can either feed your faith or you can feed your flesh. It's kind of like the food we eat. I can eat food that helps me be fit, or I can eat food that makes me fluffy. Right? Everything I do, it either feeds your faith, it makes you stronger, makes you more spiritual, or it takes away from that. So when I was in college, I took an intro to computer programming class. And uh, anybody remember the floppy disk, like the four and a half inch things? Remember those? Yeah, back when corduroy was cool. Right? Um, so the techie kids had the smaller floppy disk, but you had to have floppy disk for the class, right? And I remember our computer programming instructor talking to us, and, and he gave us a very life application principle. Garbage in, garbage out. If you put the wrong information in, if you put the wrong coding in, the program's not going to work. If you put bad data in, the equation's not going to work. But if you put the right information in, if you put the right coding in, if you put the right data in, then it's going to work. Garbage in, garbage out. Good stuff in, you get good stuff out. When you fill your mind with junk, when you feed your flesh, 
When you don't invest in feeding your faith, when you feed your flesh, but then all of a sudden I go through a storm where I need to be mentally strong, I'm not going to have anything to lean on. You need peace in the storm, but I haven't disciplined my mind. I haven't fed my faith. All I'm going to have is, is trash in the middle of a trial. How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? Is you got to feed your faith. Let me show it to you in Romans 8, 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature, that's the flesh. And I just feed my flesh. I don't do spiritual things. I just kind of do whatever I want to, whenever I want to, regardless of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. It means I need to be led by the Spirit. I need to be Spirit-led. Philippians 4, 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thought. One final thing. Fix your thoughts on whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Feed your faith. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Listen, Paul was doing his best to live a godly life. Paul was doing his best to live his life like Christ did. And then he says, listen, you've been around me. You see me. I did the best I could in front of you to live holy and do the right things and feed my faith and meditate on good things. Do that. Feed your faith. Then the God of peace will be with you. Maybe you're in the right place today. This church is here to build your faith. Man, when we worship, golly, it's so good to just kind of get a moment, check those babies in at the nursery, let somebody else deal with that diaper. You know what I'm saying? And I just get to come in, and I don't even know what's going on outside those doors. I don't even know. I'm just here, and I get to unplug from the stress of work, and I get to stop thinking about the worry and the anxiety and everything that's waiting for me, and I can come in here and just have a moment of worship, and I can connect with the God of peace. Never in the history of mankind has it ever been easier to feed your faith. With all the apps and all the technology, man, you can listen to your Bible while you're driving down the road. Man, you, most every preacher is online, and there's some good ones out there. Man, you can get audio books and listen to them. You can go to sleep, listen to that stuff, just feeding your faith. Your spirit needs to be full of God so that you can fight the good faith. The only way to do that, the only way to do that, is living a spirit-led life. Amen. And it don't have to be weird, and you don't have to lose control. So when you talk about being filled with the spirit, or being spirit-led, or spirit-filled, people, whoa, 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 whoa. listen, listen, listen. It's a beautiful gift from God. And it doesn't have to be wonky or cattywampus, Right? Matter of fact, this is what the Bible says it should look like in Galatians 5. But the Holy Spirit produces this in your life. This is the kind of fruit when I live a spirit-led life. I can have love. Our marriages need that, amen? Joy. We need that today, don't we? How about peace in the midst of a pandemic? Patience. I've lost my temper a couple of times. How about kindness? Boy, our nation could use some of that. How about just goodness? faithfulness. How about gentleness? Can we just be gentle for a little bit? And self-control. Let me, let me discipline my mind. So what's leading your life? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound soapboxy. I, I apologize. I'm going to sound soapboxy and I, I don't intend to, but 
the numbers just don't lie. I'm not sure we have a mental health issue in our country. I think we have a spiritual issue. I cannot figure out what happened. It doesn't make sense. But when you think about the year 2001, and when I talk about the year 2001, the first thing that we all think about, for those of us that were live, were September 11th. And that was a tragic event for our nation, the day of those terrorist attacks. And, you know, we all, you'll even see on social media, how about let's get back to being America on September 12th? You know, and we see all that. And, and so my thought is that in 2001, man, everybody went back to church and we kind of look back to our faith. But I'm just telling you, something wonky's happened because in 2001, that year alone, church attendance declined by 13%. Now, it went back up slightly after September 11th, and it went back up. It's, it's the only point in the data where the number goes back up for just a little bit in 2002. Then it start, And it's, it's been on the decline ever since. In one year, church attendance declined by 13% in 2001, and it's been declining ever since. Yet mental health issues have been on the rise. And even as I was studying, preparing, and reading articles from all different perspectives, and even the secular articles, not the faith articles, but the secular articles that are from non-Christian sources, in the midst of this pandemic, in their, the best they can say it in their non-offensive way, you need to find some spiritual guidance. I wish what they would say is, listen, the more you fall in love with Jesus... The more you let the Holy Spirit lead you, the more you let God change the way you think, the more you feed your faith, the more you start to live this Spirit-led life, and the more I fall in love with Jesus, He begins to fill me, He begins to change me, He begins to transform my mind, and He begins to change my heart. <laughs> Mental health concerns are real, especially in the pandemic. And what we're starting to turn and discover is just the substance abuse that's going on. And I'm praying and I'm believing for you that no matter how hard it is, God's going to use this to grow you. But you've got to take the step. You've got to step into that. God's going to use this to show us he's faithful. And I think he sent me here today to tell you this. You're going to make it. You're going to be all right. You can do it. One thing I'm learning is that my mind is not going to be the devil's playground. I want to have my spirit so full of the word of God and the things of God that there's no room for those fiery darts of the enemy to get in there and get all cattywampus and get my motions all messed up. I believe our best days are ahead. We'll get around some faith-filled people, and together we're going to encourage each other that God's best is still ahead. Amen, everybody? Amen.